This is the Daily Perspective Podcast for Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. Hi there, Mark Donaldson here, your sometimes humble host, for almost an hour of observation, insight, and absurdity. Good to have you along today. Thank you so much for joining in for the fun. I hope you and yours are doing well. And that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that all is well in your world today. And as usual, right before we got started, I mean literally right before something went haywire. It's, it's not going to affect this, the podcast. It will, however, f- affect the live stream, and I apologize for that. Um, if, you, if you tried this morning to join in the live feed, even though I promoted it, and uh, you, you joined in, and, and what's there, what's on the live stream, I need nothing but the video. That's all that's there. And I actually, I'm looking at it. Uh, the video is interrupted. Okay, well, it's been something's been, something is definitely out of sync with what's happening there. So that's gone. <laughs> We're just going to take it down uh, because something is. I'm trying. I'm doing. The, I'm doing the live feed as I record the podcast. And please pardon my my stupidity here. All right. So, and I can see that there it was bing. It's ended. It's over. It's gone. So there's that. That was just weird. Now, let me, I just a brief explanation about what happened. This all work has worked perfectly, absolutely perfectly in everything I've done and everything in all of my setup and all of my testing in everything I've done. It's all worked perfectly until it was time to go live this morning. And then there's no sound. And I, well, it's you're sure there's sound here, but there's no sound on the video. And that's, that's the crazy thing. So I don't know what the problem is, but we'll get it squared away. Now, here's the thing coming up in the next few weeks, a, a new computer is coming into the studio, which will alleviate a lot of the issues that I've been having. And, and one of the things is I've, I've got, um, I've got that computer over there. I've got the big editing machine. I've got it, uh, set up to do. Oh, to do audio and video editing. I've got it set up to do a handful of different things. And right now what it's doing is it's managing the video feed to Facebook and, or, and, or, um, YouTube or wherever. And it's been doing a wonderful job. I just gotta be honest with you. It's been doing a great job. As I've been experimenting with it, I've been, I've tried like YouTube one day, Facebook another day, and never had an issue with it whatsoever until this morning, which is really weird because I spent time over the weekend working on some, uh, some little bits and pieces to, to drop in each day. And <clears throat> excuse me. And I've been, uh, I've been, uh, uh, producing little things to, to put on the screen as I talk about the stories and it's just been a, it's been a, a project. Pardon me. I'm trying to get my glasses clean while I'm talking to you. The it's been a project and, uh, the, uh, you know, like, like I said, everything has worked perfectly. And then for some reason this morning, I promote on Facebook going live in mere moments. And then when I go live, it doesn't go live. And that's just freaking me out. So <laughs> I just, I, I, uh, I don't know what to do. Um, but as it stands, that's worthless. So I'm going to close that out 
And that just, you know, I have an idea here. Maybe, maybe if I can do something, bear with me for just a moment. And I'm so sorry. I know that I do this too, too frequently, but, um, um, where are you? Come on up here. Oh my goodness gracious. That's really weird. Um, at any rate, the, uh, uh, I'm, I was going to try where, and now that's not working. What's going on here? Why are my computers rebelling against me today? I just don't understand. Let's see. I'm going to close all of these windows and I go back over here. And that's pretty bizarre. That's actually very strange. Okay. Wait a minute. Here we go. Bing. Let's go there. Wow. That's very strange. All right. Well, I don't know what to do about that. I thought for a moment I had a rescue. I thought, ha ha, I've outfoxed you. I'll figure this out. But no, it's not going to work. That's just weird. Uh, how about this way? How about if I go over here and do that and click there and see if that will come up. It's connecting. And there I have it. Yay for our side. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I'm just telling you one of these days to the moon, Alice. Um, it's, a it's a bizarre day in my neighborhood. As you can tell already, let me drag some things around here. And I hate, I hate doing pre-production on the fly. It's just unprofessional. I don't like it, but I gotta be honest with you. This made me angry. This really, it really hacked me off. Why, why is this doing this? Okay. There's that. There's that. All right. So. Um, uh, let me go back down here and open up. I have a story that I need to get to up close up front and I need to get it pulled up and ready to go. And I, the, the reason I'm behind is because everything went haywire on me right before we got started. So yes, it makes me mad. Makes me mad. Okay. Um, all right. Now there's that there's this, let's go back over here and doggone ya. Um, We're going to talk about a handful of things on the podcast today. Um, if I don't just give up completely, <laughs> if I don't just give up completely and pull the plug on the Tuesday show, because this has got me so freaking frustrated. The, uh, <laughs> the, and you know, it's, it's the thing is that I put all this thought and all this prep into, into making sure things look as good as possible on the live stream, because I really would like to do the live stream and do it right. And I, and I've, uh, I've actually done some video production. I've done some, some things to use to make it all come together. And it, when everything is going the way I, I, you know, the way I have it set up in, in tests, it all works fine. But when it's time to go live, what it's just, it's just not working. So, um, and I'm trying to outfox it now. So let's see if I can go live over on Facebook now and see if this works seven and a half minutes into the podcast. And I'm, I'm rambling, I'm rambling ridiculously and let's see. Okay. Uh, it says it's waiting for live video. Let's stop that stream and start it back up again and see if that works. And, uh, you know, it used to be, <sighs> oh boy, December 8th. All right. Well, it's not working. That's just ducky. All right. Well, forget that. We're not going to make that work. So let's just move forward. And I apologize if you tried to, to partake of the, uh, of the, uh, um, live stream this morning and it didn't work out, but 
I, there's for some reason I can't go live and it's just really, really strange. Uh, we've been having issues here with, uh, internet service as well, but this is not related to that, that this is something entirely different. So weird. Yikes. Holy smokes. Could be worse. Could have COVID. Uh, Rand Paul, by the way, Senator Rand Paul spoke out yesterday against the policy of lockdowns and restrictions, declaring that there is no evidence that they are having any impact on the spread of coronavirus and that those who say they are, they do, are not really paying attention. Quote, we ought to at least still use logic to try to figure out how we stop this. He said this in an appearance on Fox News. He adds, I don't see any evidence that crowd control, hand washing, standing six feet apart, all of these things they tell you to do, closing down the restaurants, closing down the schools. There's no real evidence that they're changing the trajectory of the disease. If you look at the incidence of COVID, it's going up exponentially, despite all the mandates. So those who say there is science behind the restrictions just aren't paying attention to it. Now, Rand Paul, who last week slammed lockdown zealot Dr. Anthony Fauci for doing a complete 180 on schools being closed, urged that keeping all our kids home isn't changing the course of this disease. They've studied this in four different countrywide studies. They've studied the incidence of the disease. They've studied the transference of the disease. And they've found that closing schools doesn't work. Even the socialist New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio is now opening schools. Paul has been calling for schools to be open since the summer, consistently pointing out that there is no science behind the closures. He explained he isn't recommending at-risk people just ignore the virus, adding, but I'm also telling you that the government shouldn't tell you you can't go to church, and the government shouldn't tell you you can't send your kids to a religious school. There's good advice, and you can take advice, and you can give advice, but once you mandate it, it's not advice. It becomes a form of tyranny. So I think the government should not be in the form of mandating these things because sometimes the science isn't clear and sometimes they change their mind on the science month to month and week to week. Senator Paul has vowed to do everything in his power to resist Joe Biden's forever lockdowns. Quote, he's going to ruin the country. Lockdowns don't work. And in fact, all of the evidence on mandatory masks show they don't work either. That's what he said in an interview last month. So he's saying he's against it. The lockdowns are idiotic. And if Joe Biden, if Joe Biden gets into office and he gets his way, sleazy Uncle Joe, which is what I'm going to call him from now on because he is sleazy Uncle Joe, is going to ruin the country. Ruin the country. Now, remember, I talked about this yesterday. He's going to do, he wants to do this mask mandate, right? wants to do this mask mandate, and then he's a hundred days. He wants a hundred days. Now, a hundred days into the year 2021 puts us, uh, let's see, January, February, March, April, into the month of May. That puts us into the month of May. So what's happening in May? The weather's warming up. By then, what we would normally except as part of everyday life, the flu season would be over. People would be recovering or completely recovered from the flu and those winter colds and the like. Everybody would be pretty healthy. And then on top of that, 
the vaccine would be kicking in. The people, a lot of people would have had the vaccine by then. And the, the, the Biden administration would just take credit for every bit of stuff that has happened he had nothing to do with. And speaking of the vaccine, President Trump is supposed to be signing an executive order that prioritizes American access to COVID-19 vaccine. He's going to sign an executive order today, prioritizing your access, if you're an American citizen, to a COVID-19 vaccine over the foreign nations, an order that reemphasizes his America first approach. The Food and Drug Administration will be meeting this Thursday to decide on authorization for Pfizer's vaccine candidate. Both Pfizer and Moderna have applied to the FDA for emergency use authorization for a coronavirus vaccine. A Pfizer-BioNTech authorization could come as early as Friday. The priority is to make sure we distribute these vaccines to Americans before we start shipping them around the world to get international access, says an official. Predicting that international assistance could come late spring, early summer, and that and after they achieve vaccinating those who have a desire to be vaccinated. Trump's executive order is clear and is directing that we prioritize access to the American people before working on working with partners and allies to provide access to the vaccine. Additionally, the order will identify who will be working with the international aspect of this, the framework, guides and tools, for when we have a, uh, excess supply to meet those demands. So President Trump is making sure that Americans who want to get the vaccine are covered first. And I think that's a very important step because there are a lot of people out there who are scared to death. They want this vaccine. And so they, you know, here in the U.S., those people should get priority. Those people should get it. Okay. Now, can I ask you a question? Do you regularly get each year the flu vaccine? A lot of people don't, you know. And they never get the flu. Never. So why are we expecting this particular vaccine? Oh, and also there are a lot of people who take the flu vaccine and still get it. Still get the flu. So why are we expecting anything different from the COVID vaccine? Welcome back. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast for Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. i got to be honest with you. I'm so sick of the technical problems. Uh, I'm trying to work out exactly how to fix the situation. And I, I, I think I started to tell you before in the previous segment that there's a new computer coming in. Santa Claus is bringing me a new computer. I'll just put it that way. And um, if at all possible, we'll make it will make everything a whole lot better in here than it has been before. All right? All right. And uh, I'm also looking at another little piece of gear that'll make things work a little bit more, a little more nicely. And if that, uh, if that happens, then great. Let's see here. Let's see if we can make this happen. I, I, uh, I've got more to, to talk about, and I want to get to it here because I've, I've got this story. Uh, it's an article by James Bowman. He's the resident scholar at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. And 
he wrote a piece for the Epoch Times that's called uh, This Election Puts Corruption of the Media on Full Display. And uh, we'll be getting to that in just a moment here. But uh, for just a sec, I want to, uh, I just want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row. Because I, I, here we go. Is that right? Well, that's not what I wanted at all. (laughs) Well, that would explain, that would explain um, one of the issues I had. So let's see if I can go over here and click there. Uh, Click here. Let's get you that out of the way. Let's, this is so dumb. You know what? Mark is an idiot sometimes. And, um, and I just proved it to myself again, because there was one thing I didn't check when I tried to, uh, I tried to do this and let's do that. Click that. And there we go. And guess what? Ladies and germs, we're about to go live on, uh, on Facebook. Even as I speak, let's see, is it going to let me? Why not? Okay. Well, and nope, it won't let me. That's really stinking weird. All right. Well, so much for that. The, um, <clears throat> the, uh, the story I was talking about. Wow. Back to that. This election puts corruption of the media on full display. If any good comes out of this seriously compromised election, it may lie in the perfect illustration it affords of the corruption of the media, which unlike the corruption of the political establishment to which it is related is unambiguous and out of, out in the open for all to see. Every single story about fraud allegations by President Donald Trump or anyone else, at least everyone I've seen, has been qualified in the media by the application of some such adjective as baseless or unfounded or simply false. This is from the very moment of their first being made. The application of these quasi-Homeric epithets to each repetition of the president's claims has continued for weeks during which a rational person might have expected the media to be engaged in demonstrating the baselessness and falsity of such claims rather than simply and repeatedly asserting it. Having established, as they suppose, by the precedent of their supposed fact-checkers, the right to pronounce on the truth or falsity of the president's utterances as he makes them, and then having transmitted by a kind of apostolic succession the same right to the various social media platforms that now censor him, the media can presumably see nothing untoward about treating as fact anything that fits their narrative, or treating as false anything that doesn't. It's an enviable position to be in. This is of the ultimate and thus presumptively infallible arbiter of truth and falsehood, but the media simply assume it is as it as their right that they should do so is of course not surprising that so many good liberals should concede that that right to them without so much as a peep of protest and even join in the abuse of anyone advocating suspension of judgment and investigation into the claims of fraud is rather surprising. Here's an interesting headline from December 2nd, the Washington post. 25 former D.C. bar presidents, lawyers should not be complicit in Trump's attack on democracy. In other words, members of the bar who may defend murderers, rapists, and fraudsters without injury to their reputation 
are now to be deemed less than respectable members of their profession for so much as giving the allegations of electoral corruption hearing. Such allegations are said by the D.C. bar presidents to be undermining democracy by doing so. But they can hardly fail to understand that the real undermining of democracy lies in their own refusal to take seriously such a serious allegation. For the millions of people who voted for the president, the most persuasive evidence of massive fraud in the election is likely to be the parade of such categorical assurances that there is no evidence of it. Everyone knows that there is lots of evidence. It may all be false or fabricated or inconclusive, but there is no way of knowing this without the careful examination that so many in the legal profession, urged on by the media and the Democrats, are apparently unwilling to give it. Large numbers of Americans are bound to wonder why they would do such a thing, or rather not do it, unless they knew the election was stolen, and thought that stonewalling in the face of the evidence was the only way to make sure it stays stolen. Meanwhile, the media, instead of arguing the evidence of fraud, routinely refer to it as a conspiracy theory, and argue by analogy with McCarthyism, or the post-World War I German theory, so influential in the rise of Nazism, of the stab in the back. In the latter case, the analogy also offers an opportunity to connect Trump with Nazis. The reasoning is that if such conspiracy theories were wrong or misconceived, then so must be the election fraud one. Of course, the media could also have mentioned the false conspiracy theory about Russian collusion after the last election that they themselves spent years peddling, but there may be good reasons for them to forget about that one. None of these examples can tell us anything about election fraud in 2020. However, many conspiracy theories may be shown to be untrue. That doesn't make any new allegation of conspiracy untrue, unless you make the plainly unwarranted assumption, assumption that there can never be a true conspiracy. Instead of such bad faith efforts to refute the allegations of fraud unheard, why wouldn't the Democrats themselves take the lead in seeking to dispel the widespread suspicion on the part of the public that the system is rigged by supporting a thorough investigation of the allegations and suspending the certification of the result until it was complete. Isn't this the only way for trust in the integrity of the electoral system to be preserved? And isn't such trust vital for democracy to succeed? I'm afraid we must conclude that neither democracy nor the public's trust in it is a high priority for the Democrats who appear to have decided that such things are less important than their number one goal during four long years of getting rid of Trump by any means necessary. They can't but know that stigmatizing the believers in the fraud narrative, who now amount to a significant portion of the population and a majority of Trump supporters, is the surest way to confirm them in their belief that the election was rigged and that, therefore, all future elections are likely to be rigged as well. Many such people will be asking themselves two decisive questions. Does anyone doubt, given the Democrats' numerous apologies for lawless resistance during the Trump years, from sanctuary cities to Black Lives Matter and Antifa, and the abundant evidence of their virulent hatred for Trump, that they would have stolen the election if they could? And... 
Does anyone doubt that they could, at least in such one-party jurisdictions as Philadelphia, Detroit, Milwaukee, and Atlanta, the only major cities, it seems, where Biden is supposed by the official count to have run ahead of Hillary Clinton in 2016? Such evidence wouldn't stand up in court, of course, but the absence of the serious investigation that it would seem to warrant will appear conclusive to millions of Americans. The social and political price in making our divisions and the mistrust they engender permanent is one that the media and the Democrats are obviously willing to pay. And Mr. Bowman brings up a, a great point here. And I, and I can't help but reiterate it. And that is that if the Democrats are serious, these politicians, if they're serious about restoring the faith of America in our election system, then why don't they agree to a complete, full, thorough investigation? Why don't they? Not just the, the, the faux investigations that they're doing. You know, the recounts. They're using the same balloting machine, the ballot counting machines. They're using the same machines, which are all in question to do the recounts. And they're recounting the numbers which have already been counted. They're not examining signatures. They're not examining methods. They're not examining. They're not doing what they should be doing for a complete investigation. They're just going through the motions to pacify the people who aren't really paying close attention. Which is good enough, as they say, for government work. But it's not good enough for real answers. It's the Daily Perspective Podcast. (sighs) Yeah, baby. All right. It's really weird. I finally got the Facebook live stream running during that break. Halfway into the podcast. And I apologize if you decided to join a Facebook live. (laughs) Well, at least you get a second half of the show. Um... It used to be, Facebook is always constantly changing little little tiny things and not really notifying you of these changes. And one of the things was that the, the description of what you're live streaming used to be optional. You could just keep blowing on through it and not worry about it. And now it is not optional. You have to put a description in. And it was not clear until I had a few moments to actually really look into it and see it. But you know, put in a little description in, and there we go. So I put in this sarcastic description, and, and that's what's up. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Um, anyway, I mentioned earlier, uh, there's a, Santa's bringing a new computer, and the new computer should be able to handle a whole much, much heavier load and work a lot better than my trusty 8-year-old MacBook Pro, which I'm going to retire. Uh, it's going to retire... Uh, into just office work and do something else. It's just, it's going to take on a much, much lighter load than it's been having. I'll just say that. And um, I'm looking forward to that. In fact, I got the notice uh, this morning that that computer has shipped and will be here next week. That's good to know. All right. Why a week? I don't know. They've strapped it to the back of a Galapagos turtle and pointed it in my general direction and it'll be here whenever it gets here. <laughs> I have a feeling 
it's what it is. It's government workers. That's they're they're, they're managing all the shipping and stuff for these people now. That's that's what it is. I oh, will get to it when we get to it. That's good enough. Oh gosh, I can I just for a moment remind you of the DMV. You know what it's like to go to the DMV. It's if you find a, a government office in your area where the people are friendly. Oh god, it's so nice. I, and I and I'm thinking of that where I live as well. Um, we used to have to go into downtown Birmingham for everything. If you wanted to get your driver your driver's license renewed, if you want, if you had to get your car tags, if you had all, you had to go downtown Birmingham to the to the courthouse and and find your way through this labyrinth of offices until you got to where you needed to be. And then there you walk through this door and there's 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 like six eight different windows and. And people are lined up waiting to be told, okay, you can get in this line, you can go in that line, you can go. And there's signs, if you want this, you come to this window, if you want that. And it's, it's the same in every courthouse in America. It really is. And you would walk up to the window to, let's just say you're getting your tag renewed or whatever. And there would be some officious little little pudge ball behind the, uh, behind the window looking over her glasses at you and just really pissed off that you're there. And... And not happy that she's having to do anything for you, but she's at work and this is what she does. And there's no other, you know, this is it. This is it. I'm, this is her job and she has to do it. And it's just, it was just an unpleasant experience and they're behind glass and they're talking fast and they're mumbling and you can't understand them. And when you say, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And then they snap at you. I don't know how many times I had that happen. And then they started opening what they call satellite courthouses around the area. And you could go to these various courthouses and the one out in my end of town, the people were from our neighborhoods and they were nice to each other and they were nice to you and they smiled. And, and that was just, that was just a wonderful difference. And now where we live now, we're in a different County and we, you know, it's a bit of a drive. It's about a 20 minute drive to get into, into the small town where the courthouse is. And I've never stood behind more than two people in a line anytime for anything at that courthouse. It's, it's a little place. It's a small town. It's a rural County. There's just not a lot happening and the people are nice, but in the larger areas, the larger, the Metro area, the more officious government workers get and the less they care about doing a quality job. It's all about just doing what they have to do. What's required of them. This is what the rules say. This is all we're doing according to the rules and nothing more. It's a lot like going to the post office at, at, at lunch when everybody else runs in to take care of some delivering packages like this time of year. And they have one window open at lunchtime and you can hear the rest of them on their lunch break in the back. That's the kind of thing you're dealing with. And so we can translate that into the process of election vote counting and processing. You have the people with the same kind of mentality the same kind of approach doing only what they need to do, get done. And they're bringing a big bag of prejudices with them when they come in. And since they're mostly Democrat and they're mostly urban, they hate Republicans, they hate w white people, and they don't want to cooperate and they don't want to do things in any way, but what, but is, is, is the path of least resistance and the path that will win their candidate for the election. And we're watching that happen. We're just watching it happen all over the place. And we can turn our attention to Atlanta and see that in part. Now, 
you may have seen, I talked about this yesterday, you may have seen that video, the surveillance video, the security video of what happened in, in, uh, in, in the State Farm Arena and how people were told it's time to go home. Now, we're being told that's not what happened here. I mean, they weren't never, nobody was ever told to go home. Well, we actually have news reports from the, all the networks, the news networks and the major entertainment networks that have their, their news programs. They all reported, uh, here in Atlanta, there was a pipe break, yada, yada, yada. People were told to go home. Well, I think those are two different things, but we kept hearing about this water main break. It wasn't a water main. There was a urinal running over in a men's room which shouldn't stop any work from going on. But we were told there was a water main break. And then we were told, no, nobody told anybody to, that, that they were through for the day that you were going to have to come back tomorrow. Nobody said that. But we have, we have video of the representatives standing in front of the press telling us, yeah, well, we called it last night. We, we decided because of yada, yada, yada. And we're going to re- resume at 8.30 in the morning. So we have evidence to back up the fact that they did tell people, time to go. And then after everybody was gone, the poll watchers were gone. The authorities were gone. They drug out the boxes and started processing votes with no observers, which is against the law. So they broke the law. They broke election law in Atlanta. And there's a lot happening in Atlanta. Now that vote counting video has not been debunked. They're trying to tell you it has been debunked. It's not even close. It has not been debunked. Now Molly, Molly Hemingway over at the Federalist wrote an article about this. And I probably will not get through it in this segment. I'm looking at it. No, I won't. But we'll roll it over after the break, okay? But let's get started here. A big tech backed fact checking outfit claimed to debunk explosive evidence in support of Republicans' claims of significant election problems at a Thursday Georgia Senate hearing. It didn't. Not even close. Newly discovered security footage from Georgia's State Farm Arena showed dozens of ballot counters, media, and pub Republican observers leaving en masse at the same time from the ballot counting area for Fulton County. After they left, a small remnant of about four workers began pulling trunks containing thousands of ballots from underneath the table with a long tablecloth and running them through machines. The footage supported claims from Republicans that they were told counting had stopped for the night, only to find out hours later it had been kept going. You can, you can and should watch the 12-minute portion of the testimony from Jackie Pick. The, the, by the way, that is right here in this particular article. So get today's show notes. Okay. Get them at uh, dailyperspectivepodcast.com. The video link is right there. It's 12 minutes long. Well worth the watch. On Friday morning, a group called Lead Stories published a hoax alert, falsely claiming to have debunked the security video. The Washington Post, Newsweek, and other outlets followed along, criticizing non-leftist journalists for giving the video any traction. In fact, none of the claims made by the Republicans were debunked. Lead Stories Fact Check says government officials told them everything was fine with the counting, that the ballots were in containers, not suitcases, and that 
Party observers were never told to leave because counting was over for the night. Leaving aside whether relying solely on solely and uncritically on government officials' claims constitutes anything close to a fact check, let's look at the claim that party observers were never told that counting was over for the night. In lead stories regurgitation of the government officials' claims, only the people who cut open the absentee ballot envelopes were sent home, while ballot counters and scanners were retained and kept working. And no one told the press or other observers they were done counting. Georgia Republican Party Chairman David Schaefer has consistently said that's what happened at State Farm Arena, beginning hours after the election. He tweets, Fulton County told our observers last night to go home because they were closing up and then continued to count ballots in secret. That claim, which he has repeated consistently, is backed by sworn affidavits from two Republican observers who further allege they were kept an unreasonable distance from the ballots even while they were at State Farm Arena, making it completely impossible to meaningf meaningfully do their jobs. The video, which shows the room from four different angles, fully supports the claim that poll watchers were kept away from meaningful observation of ballot handling. So you see, what was happening in other cities was also happening in Atlanta. They weren't letting poll observers actually see the work at hand. They were hiding what they were doing from them. The observers say that they arrived for their observation jobs around 8 p.m. They say in the first half of the 10 o'clock hour, a woman with blonde braids who appeared to be a supervisor yelled out to those present in the room that they would stop working for the night and would resume in the morning. The Republican poll watchers said they asked Fulton County election spokesperson Regina Walker, uh, Waller, questions about the status of the ballot count multiple times, but that she refused to answer. Lead Stories, however, says there was never an announcement made to the media and other observers about the counting being over for the night and then needing them needing to leave, according to Francis Watson, chief investigator for the Georgia Security of State, who was provided information by the media liaison who was present. While Lead Stories doesn't name the media liaison, the media li liaison who was present that night, according to the affidavits, was Regina Walker the Fulton County Public Affairs Manager for Elections. <laughs> That's a good place to stop. We'll pick it up after the break as the Daily Perspective podcast continues. The claims about debunking that the video of late night counting with no witnesses. It's important. Wrapping up today's podcast, it's the final segment of The Daily Perspective for Tuesday, December 8th. So where were we? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, while Lead Stories doesn't name the media liaison involved, the media liaison who was present that night, according to the affidavits, was Regina Walker. Regina Waller, the Fulton County Public Affairs Manager for Elections. Hmm. Okay, so on one hand, you have sworn affidavits from observers saying that supervisors told ballot counters to go home for the evening shortly after 10 p.m. and a video showing everyone leaving en masse at that time. And on the other hand, you have two government officials promising that no one was told that the counting was over. Is there any other evidence to consider? Well, on election night, 
ABC News reported that ballot counters were sent home at the time that the Republican observers said everyone was told counting had stopped. Their source? Regina Waller. A tweet from ABC News Politics. New, the election department sent the ballot counters at the State Farm Arena in Atlanta home at 10.30 p.m. Regina Waller, the Fulton County Public Affairs Manager for Elections, tells ABC News. Hmm. And more. Later in the night, Regina Waller, the Fulton County Public Affairs Manager for Elections, told ABC News that the election department sent the State Farm Arena absentee ballot counters home at 10.30 p.m., despite earlier intentions for to complete processing Tuesday night. Some additional numbers could still come out Tuesday night, but as of now, the staff will be back at 8.30 a.m. Wednesday. The Republican poll watcher's story matches this election night reporting perfectly. And it wasn't just ABC that reported counting was being delayed. Many media outlets reported on counting delays. Local NBC journalists on site that night independently confirmed they were told counting was done for the night and given no indication it would continue before the next morning. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution even reported of a plan to stop scanning ballots at the same time the poll watchers said things were shut down. From, from there, this quote, they plan to stop scanning absentee ballots at 10.30 p.m. and pick it, up, pick it up again in the morning. No official could explain before press time why Fulton was stopping its count of absentee ballots at the time, only saying that was the procedure. As planned, Fulton County will continue to tabulate the remainder of absentee ballots over the next few days. Absentee ballot processing requires that each ballot is opened, signatures verified, and ballots scanned. This is a labor-intensive process that takes longer to tabulate than other forms of voting. Fulton County did not anticipate having all absentee ballots processed on Election Day, the county spokeswoman wrote in a statement. Some debunking there, guys. The video supports the claim from the affidavits. Incidentally, most of the linked stories include mention of a major election day story of a burst pipe delaying vote counting. Some even said it was reportedly a water main. In a new affidavit, the aforementioned Watson wrote, uh, swore, quote, Our investigation revealed that the incident initially reported was a water leak late in the evening on November 3rd. It was actually a urinal that had overflowed early in the morning of November 3rd. She also said that her investigation shows that the press and observers simply left on their own. Although she later said workers put ballots underneath the table because they thought that counting was stopping for the evening. Quote, this was done because employees thought that they were done for the night and were closing up and ready to leave. End quote. A Newsweek story quoted someone saying that Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger's office claimed that a, de a designated election observer was at that spot all night the entire time. Lead Stories emphasizes that while partisan observers may not have been present, an unnamed state election board monitor was present. From their story, a, a state election board monitor who asked for his name not to be used due to safety concerns told Lead Stories on the phone on December 3rd, 2020, that he was present at the vote counting location between uh, beginning at 11.52 p.m. after leaving briefly earlier in the evening. He then stayed until about 12.45 a.m. when the work that night was completed. The deputy chief investigator for the Secretary of State's office was president beginning at 12.15 a.m. November 4, he said. Hmm. The, the monitor only claims to have been present in the processing room from 11.52 p.m. on election night to 12.45 a.m. the following morning. Less than an hour. That means there were neither partisan monitors nor the state election board monitor for more than an hour 
after ballots began being scanned at 10.35 p.m. What the fact check shows, then, is the monitor admitting he wasn't present for much of the time in question, contrary to claims made by the Secretary of State's office. For whatever it's worth, the same monitor is the subject of an affidavit from another witness, devoted exclusively to concerns about the monitor's conduct prior to the late hours on Election Day, according to a member of the Trump team. The claims include that he was sleeping on the job and staring at his phone. Incidentally, Fulton County had such massive problems managing elections earlier this year that they were fined and forced into a settlement agreement that included a requirement that they be independently monitored, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And from the AGC, to avoid the fine, Fulton must maintain verifiable levels of operational competence by properly processing absentee ballots, keeping a force of 2,200 properly trained poll workers, providing at least 24 early voting sites, striving to process 100 voters per hour at any site, having a technical support staff member at every site, and creating a post-election audit. The consent order also requires Fulton, Count, Fulton to regularly update the board on its pool of poll workers. The issue in the consent order requiring the most negotiation was over an independent elections monitor. They agreed on Carter Jones, who spent the time who spent time in Africa helping countries improve their elections. Contrary to the media impression that a state monitor is sufficient oversight, the press and partisan observers are just as if just as if not more important. The false public claims about a pause in counting led to the departure of the press and Republican observers. As for the deputy chief investigator who arrived at 1215 on November 4th, when the ballot scanning activities were nearly completed, the video shows the person entering the large room, glancing around, and talking on his phone. At no point have the fact-checkers or other media figures asked what prompted an investigator to be dispatched to the State Farm Arena at any time. The Trump legal team, for its part, said the Fulton County situation violated Georgia laws that require election tabulation to be open to public views. The witness affidavits said, or say the denial of meaningful access to the counting process kept Republican observers from being able to actually observe what happened. The Republican observers, the press, and the public were kept to a roped-off area too far from the ballot activity to matter, which doesn't comply with Georgia law, they say. While conspiracy theories about the election uh, election fraud abound, ranging from the New York Times claim that there was no election fraud anywhere in the entire country to dramatic claims of a global conspiracy involving voting machines, the Trump campaign's official claims are sober and serious. State Republican Chairman David Schaefer and President Donald Trump filed a criminal complaint in state court on Friday regarding tens of thousands of votes they say were fraudulent. Trump and Schaefer allege, for example, that votes came from 2,560 felons, 66,247 underage registrants, 2,423 people who were not on the state's voter rolls, 4,926 4, voters who had registered in another state after they registered in Georgia, making them ineligible, 395 people who cast votes in another state for the same election, 15,700 voters who had filed national change of address forms without re-registering, 40,279 people who had moved counties without re-registering, 1,043 people who claimed the physical impossibility of a P.O. box as their address, 98 people who registered after the deadline, and, among others, 10,315 people who were deceased on Election Day, 8,718 of whom 
had been registered as dead before their votes were accepted. The lawsuit further alleges that mail-in ballots received no scrut- nearly no scrutiny as standards for contesting questionable ballots were made unreasonably difficult. The fact check was originally written by Alan Duke and Hallie Golden, although Golden's name was removed from later versions of the story. Golden is a freelance writer whose work regularly appears in The Guardian, a left-wing publication. Duke, a CNN entertainment reporter, retired from the left-wing outlet after 26 years. Earlier versions of the story included a mathematical error about whether the votes that were counted after observers left State Farm Arena could have affected the outcome of the election. The authors falsely wrote that they couldn't have when they could have. A later purported fact check said it wasn't true that Republican poll watchers swore affidavits that they were told to leave the center. Lead stories falsely stated that these claims were the cornerstone of Trump's challenge from Georgia. In fact, the legal claim filed by the Trump team only mentions Fulton County telling the press and other election observers that they were going to stop counting ballots and resume counting in the morning once on one page of the 64-page complaint. Again, those claims have been corroborated, not debunked, by multiple press accounts from election night. As for the affidavits, they make the same claim, that Fulton County election officials falsely said they were stopping the count when in reality they were continuing the count through the night after observers left. The affidavits further state that they were unable to get answers to basic questions from officials. Lead Stories claims it is funded by Facebook, Google, and ByteDance. The latter is the Beijing-based and China Communist Party-linked company known for TikTok. Facebook and Google have suppressed journalism deemed harmful to Trump's 2020 election opponent, Joe Biden. The Trump administration has said TikTok's ties to Chinese communist government make it a national security threat. And so, Facebook's fact-checker, Lead Stories, is completely and totally untrustworthy. Shocker. In fact, I've had stories as recently as last night fact-checked by lead stories on Facebook. And I can have confidence that anything lead stories is putting out is false. And you should have that confidence as well. It ain't over. The fat lady has not sung. Let me remind you, don't lose hope. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Oh, we're, uh, we're done.